a bunter of bunts off all year against all the odds. And it, we, nev we never splintered. We stayed together. We had some tough losses. We had some tough situations. They found a way today. I'm so proud. I'm so proud to be their coach. You seem to be getting a little emotional. Why? This is my school. This is home. That's it. If somebody would have told you two weeks ago that you would be the head coach of this program, you would knock off your rival and you'd be going bowling, what would you have told them? I don't believe you. Pinch me. Pinch me. Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Sigla, buddy. JC was emotional after that one, buddy. We were emotional after that one, man. Yeah. Oh my! If if you are a Virginia Tech fan and you did not listen to that post game after the twenty nine twenty four win to hold on to the cup in Charlottesville, I don't know what to say because I think that's the way most of us feel about Virginia Tech football. Yep. It's you know. Yeah, I listened to it again, and yeah, I got a little allergies going, but it's a little uh, it's a, as again hear him say, "This is my school." Yep. This is home. It definitely hit different, and I mean, you you can see how much it means, and I think that's the big thing that you know we we kind of get out there and that we want to that makes us unique that makes being a part of this fan base unique is that when somebody really cares, you see it. Yes, you do. And, pe and people that have been a part of it, they feel it and they show it. And you, you can see that all over JC's face. I mean, and we've seen it since, you know, he was named interim head coach. I mean, it's yeah. been, it's been emotional for him to be in this position. And it definitely, I think was, was big for him to go out, capture a win against a rival and get a team that a lot of people had ridden off to a bowl game. Um, give those seniors and those guys that are stepping away from the program out of the season one more chance to go out there together and get it done. So that's big. You're damn right it is. And it's and it was such an emotional game of highs and lows, good and bads. And when you come out with the win and then hearing that and – you said it. Yeah, when you're connected to this program, it's different and it hits different. And when you're someone of our age who's followed the program 20 plus years, you remember the name JC Price. We were young adolescents when he played for this team. Yep. I swear to God, Robbie Compton's his brother somehow. I don't know. I just do. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go back and check out the going camping uh, yes. episode with Robert Compton and see if you don't see some similarities, uh, but between our good buddy and and JC Price there. So, but it was, uh, and it's it's not just you know facial recognition. It's it's kind of the mannerisms, how they talk. I mean, there, there's a whole yeah. lot of things there that that, that are similarities. So, shout out to Robbie Compton there. He might be listening tonight. <laughs> he might be, he might not. It depends on if in uh, his part of North Carolina, if he got internet signal, if it's a cloudy night. <laughs> yeah, it, is the satellite internet bringing in enough uh, juice <laughs> for him to stream this bad boy? We don't know. 
Well, y'all, of course, we are going to talk about the game. We are going to talk about the coaching dominoes that fell today in a little while. We're going to talk about our picks. Good weekends for both of us. But let's, first of all, I had to wear this shirt tonight. Hey. Our state. The Commonwealth Cup stays home. And, Brian, we're going to start with the defense. And, y'all, Brian wrote it out here on our notes. It was a tale of two halves. And let's start first half. Um, yeah, li- literally the worst of times and then the best of times. <laughs> I mean, in the first half, they looked like an unstoppable force. They were going on drives. They were scoring. They put 21 points up in the first half. If you had told me or Brian, we both put the game in the 30s. If you told us after the first half this game was going to end in the 20s, I would have said you, you, you're out of your damn mind. We can't stop them. They can't stop us. It's going to be a race to probably 38 or 40. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I tweeted uh, towards the end of the first half. I was like, you know, hope y'all took the over. Um, (laughs) But it makes the under. Yeah. (laughs) 10 points. Who would have thought? I mean, the way things were going, I was like, yeah. I know pace about midway through the second quarter kind of slowed down a little bit. Points were still being scored, but the pace of them – slowed yeah. down and then as we got into the second half um points were hard to come by and Boy, but, but let, let's look a little bit more about uva offense i mean Arm, armstrong was absolutely dealing in the first half yes he um was. he was hitting all of his spots uh guys were open guys were getting away from coverages guys were uh exploiting some mismatches uh particularly jelani woods um he was dominating yeah, um, he was he was creating some some really bad matchups for us in the secondary. Um, the the had, one that stands out uh, is the one that he scored the touchdown on. Uh, Tisdale was late getting out there covering. Uh, Strong made a, a Ole business decision. Tisdale checked up. It, it was definitely a uh, nobody wanted a part of Woods going full steam into the end zone. No, they did not. And, and that was one of them where I think uh, us as a fan base, we saw that early on, um, you know, when that play happened, you know, that was their first score of the game. Just – it felt like effort, right? It felt like the effort on that particular play was just gone. Because Tisdale had an angle. And if Tisdale goes at full speed, we know Tisdale can go out. I think he knocks him out short. Or but he it's did. very close. It, it, it's close. He'd have to re- he'd have to reach it out at a pretty epic way, yeah. And strong the same way. Like he was gonna have to make the play, and it was probably gonna be a collision. If he if he gets the perfect tackle, he probably stops him. But I think that early on, I think us as fans, we saw it and it was just like, man, this this they don't look fired up, they don't look in it, and it and it showed in the in the you know. And more the first quarter. As we got into the second quarter, it started changing a little bit, right? I mean, you know, the the the, the big piece you can say is that interception that happened um, in the second quarter. You know, yeah. we're down; they are driving, and it looks like we're about to go down two scores. And then all of a sudden, you know, Tay. Daly makes one hell of a play to get that interception. Yep. 
he he made a hell of a play there. Uh, I'll tell you, artists did a good job of redirecting on that, which created uh, the situation where Armstrong had to throw it wider than he wanted to. Uh, Daly stepped up, made play, uh, and now you know what was looking like a situation that was about to get dire. Now we're able to settle down a little bit. Yep. bring things back into kind of more of that dog fight that we were looking to get into instead of uh, the potential um, you know, greatest show on turf that they were trying to pull in the first quarter and early in the second quarter there. Yeah, that early in the second quarter, especially the first quarter going into the second quarter, we could not get off the field. We could not stop them on third. They got in the red zone. It was a guaranteed touchdown. But something, Brian, that you had mentioned and this is where I'm going to kind of bring up the first of our points, were getting back to the coverage that has shown success. Cover three of the quarters, mixing in a little man here and there. Their drives in the first half were 10, 11, 10, and 6. That is a – even the six – a six play is usually your average drive, right? So when you're throwing in yeah, – six to eight is usually your average drive. When Brian always talks about you want them to – you want them to have to drive the field. Something you always talk about. Getting in yep. the right coverages forces them to do that. And what it forced in that second quarter was they were at play 11 when he threw that pick. And if y'all remember where that was, that wasn't like we were there in the end zone. That was about at the 30-yard line. Yep. It wasn't a super long drive. They were having a deep dunk, deep dunk, and eventually Armstrong made the mistake. Um, and when that happened, yes, they scored one more time, but the juice was back there on the defense. The defense, I think, it was that moment of faith, right? It was that moment where they said, all right, well, when we do things the right way, we can stop this team. They're not they're not just going to be able to go up and down the field on us all game. Uh, the confidence level shifted there. Um, you know, we still had an opening drive in the uh, in the next quarter where the you know, points were surrendered, but uh, overall, um, it seemed like a, a switch was flipped there where they were in a, a completely different mindset going forward. So um, that was that was big from an emotional standpoint, I think, for that defense, just showing, hey, you know, we we can do this. Let let's let's do the right things. Let's play with intensity. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's not wait on them. And I think that was the big problem is that we were in some decent coverages for what they were doing, but we were waiting. We yeah. were reacting um, instead of trusting the reads and, 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 and kind of forcing the issue. And some of that had to do with bringing a little bit more pressure uh, later in the game, um, which made Armstrong have to get rid of the ball quicker, which meant that we could drive on the ball a lot quicker. Yeah. Um, and I Love think those things, point. those, those things are what helped. And, um, you know, the, I think the big thing is that in the first half, we struggled to get off the field on third down or bow up in the red zone. And, and that's kind of where, where things shifted a little bit for us going into the second half. Cause we started to be a lot better, uh, getting off the field. Yep. They come out, they do drive the field, kick a field goal. So there it is right there. A third down stop. They were in the red zone. When that happened, you force a field goal. You picked them off. They did get you a drive and got a touchdown. But now you've shown more and more. Okay, we can stop them. That was the last points Virginia would score. Yep. If you told anybody, Brian, that that at at exactly 
12 minutes, 30 seconds in the third quarter, UVA is not scoring another point. Would you have made a bet? I would have said you were full of shit. So they don't. And that's going to come up later. Oh, yes. (laughs) Oh, yes. Okay. (laughs) Let's keep moving. So, again, Brian mentioned about bringing pressure. I think what really changed in the second half, and you mentioned it, Brian, on Wednesday night, we've got to start mixing up the coverages underneath, right? Yep. I think the adjustments were made at halftime and the looks underneath were different. And Armstrong, you know, it wasn't dink and dunk. He was having to double clutch. He took a sack that hurt his ankle. And he was out for exactly just about a whole drive. But after that ankle, he was he was not himself. You could tell he could not get any force behind his balls. Yeah, and it wasn't just the force behind the ball. I mean, that's one thing. He was still able to to send the ball well. It, it wasn't quite to, to his normal standard. Um, but the big thing is that he could not escape the pocket to extend plays to give those receivers some time to get away from those initial drops or from those initial coverages in man. And I think that's where things kind of went into our favor because we were able to, from a secondary standpoint, be full on in attack mode every snap. Yeah. Because we weren't concerned about the scramble drill where we had to keep running with guys for five seconds or more. Well, I think too, and you made a note of this, his balls weren't not flying off. He does not have the biggest arm, but he has a, a solid arm. And you could tell when they're out of shotgun, he drops back about three to four yards. So even a 10 yard play downfield is a 20 yard pass. Yep. And you can just tell. You talked about them breaking on the ball. Those balls were not getting there as quick or crisp. So no, and he's, he's definitely more of a, he throws based on timing, right? He's a very yeah. much a timing, timing quarterback. So anything that's, a, that's impacting that timing is going to impact the result. And, and we saw how much that was impacted. And like I said, that that kind of fed into how we were playing on defense because we knew that we could attack those in-cutting routes, attack those out-cutting routes, attack the hitches because we knew that the ball wasn't always going to get there as long as we weren't interfering and as long as we you know tried to make the tackle, which tackling was a up-and-down uh, yes. aspect of this game. Uh, there were there were times where it was okay, and then there was times where we had three guys get trucked by Brennan Armstrong going into the end zone. There were times um, where we were pulling our hair out. There were times where we had tackles for loss, and they got positive gain. And so many times this year, Brian, when we saw that happen, Syracuse, Notre Dame, West Virginia, what happened? We lost the game. Yep. We were giving them extra opportunities. Yep. And, and this week we didn't. Um, and I, I, I just get frustrated because I love Jamari Connor. Jamari Connor might be definitely a top three player on the team I love. And there are times where Jamari, perfect form, pops the crap out of people, right? Yep. And then there's other times where Jamari forgets all technique. I'm just trying to lay the wood. He misses or it's a it's not a good enough hit. And there, he yeah. did that a couple times yesterday, and I think Jamar can be successful at the next level, but he's got to clean that up. He's got to. He's got to clean that up, and um, I mean, he's probably going to be 
they're they're probably going to play him as like a inside outside strong safety. Um, I think he's will. I think he could play. You think a will so? Linebacker. I think he, he could probably play a will linebacker if you in, he in a pinch. About ten pounds, and he'd yeah. be a will. And I mean, and other guys had had some some questionable. You know, we we talked about Dorian in the first half, but yes. second half, Hold Dorian on. Strong looked like every bit of the player he was on his best best game uh, in that second half. Uh, breaking on balls, coming up and making plays, tackle. I mean, as aggressive tackling in the second half as I've seen him the entire time he's been a hokey. And, oh, yeah. you know, after you see an Olay against Jelani Woods in the first half, and then you get that type of player uh, coming out in the second half, that that's a pretty big uh, switch, right? Uh, and Tay Daly, I know, I know we talked about his pick, but uh, Tay Daly probably had his most impressive game as a hokey as well. Well, he, he seemed to be in on just about every play, right, in some way, shape, or form, whether making tackles. I mean, he led the team yesterday with nine. He had two pass deflections. Obviously, the one at the end of the game yep. was the biggest. Had the pick. Um, but it just seemed like 17 was everywhere. And, uh, you know, for, for a guy like Tay Daly, I don't think Tay – I want to say that at Bandy, at the time he was there – they never went to a bowl. I saw him put that up on Twitter, like bowling. Yep. And for for guys like that, getting that sixth win, huge, right? To Absolutely. Do a first bowl game, and I, I wish Tay Daly had another year or two because he, you can just see he's starting to get his footing in in the way he plays. Yeah, I mean the only the only downside of if he did have another year, would that matter with potentially switching schemes? Would that would that kind of set him back um, sure. to kind sure. of where he was coming in? So it, it's kind it's kind of a, a you know a, a bad situation either way you slice it there for him. Definitely sure. wish he could be a hokey another year because he definitely showed me something this year overall. He's had some some good games, some some less than good games, but he's definitely rounding into form uh, when it counts here. Yep. Um, and that, that's, that's pretty big. So, uh, you know, good on Tay. I, I, it was sad that we ended up not having him for the majority of the Miami game. Yes. Um, and you know, we saw what happened in that game. So. Yeah, he was definitely a difference. He would have been a difference maker in that game when he got ejected for that, you know, basically just a hit. Let's not get into the personal foul targeting penalties again, that we could do a whole episode on that, but yep. Again, I, I talked about mentioning him everywhere, and uh, you saw him in the run game, and they did not have a run game. They got 76 no. yards, about three yards a carry. We mentioned it. Like, they can't have a run game. Their longest run, I think, was Armstrong's scramble for the touchdown. Their running backs didn't break 10. Neither yeah, their was, running backs got a true first down. Yeah, and, and that's what you love to see. Um, and, that, and that being more or less a weakness of our defense on the whole for the year, having that type of outing against your rival is pretty big uh, because it, it didn't let we didn't let the running game impact the game. Like we said, you got to make sure that you don't let a strength become a weakness um, or a weakness become a strength for the other team. And, and we didn't do that. Um, we, we kept the running game in check and we were like, if you're going to beat us, you're going to beat us throwing the football all game. And the big thing is that once, once they didn't have a running game and once Armstrong was starting to struggle in the second half, they had absolutely zero counterpunch. Zero. Oh, yeah. None. Nothing. None. And 
you know, the other thing was they took some shots downfield, but if you've watched them play this year, they weren't hitting on much downfield, right? It wasn't just pop, pop, touchdown. Again, forcing them to drive. Yep. And there's that's the other thing, right? Once they couldn't counter and continuously hit deep balls and they knew it was going to be dink and dunk, you know, they had a couple good screen plays. You know, the big one was they ran that Keaton Thompson trick play and it looked like it was going to be good. And then that ball got knocked out. Norrell Pollard jumps on it again. He knocked it out and then jumped on it. That I mean, the fact that he's that far down the field making that play to begin with is impressive. Then he gets gets on the ball too. Very true. So it was almost like for them, you know, they didn't have much of a run game all year, but they'd always been able to go downfield. And when we kind of took that away from them and they knew, like, like they didn't know what else to do. They yeah. didn't know what else to do. Um, and it showed a lot. Now, we'll say this. We mentioned Keontae Thompson, Jelani Woods-Wicks. We did not mention Billy Kemp. And he had a great game. Eight catches, 102 yards. I mean, I don't think that's his career game, but it might be his game of the year. But, oh, Brian, he uh, – <laughs> He got popped by Tate Daly and took the Browns to the Super Bowl. Like, I know you, you play dude at collegiate level. You know what happens. But when it's like the hit and then you see yeah. it, it's like, I know what caused that. He hit you really hard. And, I mean, I don't think that changes the momentum. Just a funny moment in the game when you see it happen. It's got to be talked about because, I mean, what you don't see it every day. You don't you see go. it every day. You don't. Um, you, know, you hear about you, it. You, you hear, you hear about it. It's like, oh, yeah, remember that time so-and-so happened? Yeah, I did it on the field. You did what? <laughs> but this was visibly seen. Yeah. Uh, poor, poor equipment managers. <laughs> I would just, if you were an equipment manager, you'd be like, hey, I need to get cleaned up. Nah, you're good. No, nah, man. Nah, not off. You're good. You're you can good. take that home with you. <laughs> we- exactly. Thanks, but no thanks. Yeah, thanks for no thanks. We'll write and, that one off. <laughs> and let's go one last thing on the defense. The final drive, they get it down inside the red zone. I'm sure if you were like me, Brian, I'm sure you were going through my head. Yes, we've, this, we've had we've had some we've had one red zone stop. We've had was much better in the second half, but you just had this. I had the pit of my stomach like not this. Oh, I, I I knew we were going to have to score a touchdown with with 30 seconds left to win that game at that point, or or at least kick a field goal. Sorry, we were, we were going to be down two at least. We we're going to be down two, and then third down, and we we've gotten us we've gotten them behind the sticks. Yeah, it's they, third and seven from the eight. Um, you know, we were, we're like, okay, well, we're going to force them to do something. They're going to try to get. At least half of this yardage, right? If they don't yeah. go to the end zone, they're at least trying to get half this yardage. Um, no, no, ladies and gentlemen. They do the dumbest <laughs> situational play call I've ever seen. And I've We're watched Brad Cornelson call offense for six years. Yes, we did. They went for a thick six. <laughs> a throwback to an... But not any thick six. A throwback where you throw it to the offensive tackle. Three yards behind the line of scrimmage. No, six yards behind the line of scrimmage. Further? 
Yeah, he weird. caught it at the set almost ten yard. He caught it at the seventeen. Lord, <laughs> he caught it at the seventeen. So your your grand play of getting at least five yards of positive yardage is to start ten yards behind the line of scrimmage with like your third slowest player on the field. <laughs> and not only that, you're calling that type of play when when you didn't check to see what coverage we're in. We're in damn zone coverage. Dorian is just standing there looking at the action going on in, in front of him. So he sees this from a mile away and is there to make a tackle uh five yards by five or six yards behind the line of scrimmage. It was a five it was a six yard loss. And he did not hesitate. He went right after him. He got physical. He went right after big boy's legs, and he fell. And my only thought was where they were on the field, right, Brian? We talked about Armstrong's ankle, right, being hurt. Yep. They were at the, what, they could get to the two. They were at the nine, right, eight or nine. They were at the eight. It was third and seven from the eight. They have a five-yard shotgun snap plus a three-yard drop. His ankle's hurt. He's having to push it 15 or 20 yards in the end zone because they don't have anything under center or roll out. Whatever way he was going as far as – like if they were going to – okay, let's let's do a sprint option, right? That's where the play has to go because he can't cut back because his ankle's done. I think they were just trying to say, if we can fool him with this, he'll get to like the five, and then we can put everything in the playbook. But can again, I, can I tell you? Can I tell you why this is dumb, though? Can I tell you exactly one hundred percent why this is dumb? Because even if you don't use a Jelani Woods in this situation, you have three other tight ends that yeah. you can put on the field and leak them out. And you know what you can do to a tight end that you can't do to your damn offensive tackle? You can throw a screen forward, a forward pass, where he catches it like a yard behind the line of scrimmage, and then by the time he turns up, he's at least getting something. Instead of throwing it to your tackle almost 10 yards behind the line of scrimmage because you can't throw it forward because he's a freaking tackle. (laughs) Brian loves offensive linemen, but this is like the day it's like you're done, right? Like this made you – I instantly went to the Varsity Blues, Billy Bob, trying to do the freaking hook and ladder. This ain't the damn play where I run downfield and act like I'm lost, is it? Yes, this is that play, and it happened exactly how it happened in practice. It did not happen how it was drawn up in the freaking final game. It happened like it happened in practice. It was a clown show. Except he caught the ball, and yeah. All right, so defense staying 29-25. We've got to look um, at the offense, though, because that was – we produced. The yeah. Huggies offense produced. Even with one of the most counterproductive game plans and play calling I have ever seen. I mean, like like you want to go hit someone. It was so dumb. This, I mean, as bad as the the one call that that OC had for UVA, I mean, Corn had about ten or fifteen of them made in this game that were not quite as questionable, but were certainly awful. And oh. let's start with the uh, decision to against all odds and against whatever the uh, flow of the game was, keep throwing Connor Blumrick in the game. <laughs> 
to stop what was otherwise a productive drive. And this is no knock on Blumrick. Blumrick did what Blumrick does. Yep. But when you're when you're when you got a hot hand, you got to stop with the rotating. You got to just ride it. And there were three hot hands. <laughs> there were three of them: Raheem Blackshear, Braxton Burmeister, and Tay Robinson. I mean, those guys single handedly on the offense won this game. And I mean, Raheem Blackshear, 18 carries, 169, almost nine and a half yards. He broke a 50 yarder. Um, and there was, was a, there was a point where he was averaging over 11 a carry, and for some reason, we kept running Connor Blumberg into the line of scrimmage. We, yeah, we and I'm like, Blumberg. what are we doing? Because Raheem Blackshear was having a career day. He had a career day regardless. Like he he could have been like close to 250 yards, and we just rode him the whole game. If we did, yeah, because Blumberg <laughs> got 10 carries. Blumberg got 10 carries. You imagine giving five of those to him and five more to Malachi. We we probably could have broke 380 on the ground. Not even. And again, we're not we're not knocking Blumberg. I think there were situations where we're putting Blumberg in the game made sense. Well, well, but yeah. but a lot of times it was it was drive killing situations. It was stupid. That's why I said it was so counterproductive. And with Heen yesterday, Brian, it was everything right. It was inside zone. It was outside zone. It was his decision making. What some of the stuff he did yesterday. And I know UVA has a porous offense. But we saw this a couple weeks ago against Duke. When he saw a hole, he made a cut. He did not hesitate, and he hit. It reminded me of Khalil Herbert so much. It, it reminded me of how also bad the game plan was against Miami that you gave this guy five carries in the whole game. Yeah, I, I, I you know, I know we're talking about UVA, but God, that was dumb. But I mean, Heem had a day. Um, I am, I am beyond thrilled that I talked this guy up for two years and. Yes, now that they finally gave him some volume, he's showing out. <laughs> True. And not and not just because I look smart, because I knew I knew he was capable of it. Um, you know, on tape. I just we we needed to see see it with enough volume and with enough effort and with enough focus. And and I think some of it was on him and he, he focused in. And True. and I think that that's been the big difference. Can I say this about Raheem Blackshear? And it tells you how Again, it's the questionable of the coaching staff that's leaving. You know how many yards he has in 12 games this year? How many? 711 on the ground. 711. And guess what, Brian? As we start looking through here, literally it's taken the Georgia Tech game in the last couple weeks in Syracuse. He got 80, 80, 117, 169. And got got almost no carries against Miami. And um, you said five, two carries against Miami. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I was, I was giving corn more, (laughs) more benefit of the doubt than he deserved there. Eight against Notre Dame, seven against Pitt. Why he's not getting at least 15 a game is mind boggling. It's, it's absolutely stupid. And it's why that guy in the booth is going to be a high school coach next year at best. Well, the, because, the bad thing is that a lot of this wasn't game flow. I mean, West Virginia is probably the only game game flow wise. And maybe, maybe Pitt that, that he should have, that he figures to be out of the game plan by halftime. 
Well, hold on. What about the West Virginia when we turned the ball over deep in territory a couple times? Yep. Think about that. Like right there, you're like, okay, well, we don't need to necessarily pass. We're we're down here. Use your bread and butter. But let's not digress. Let's talk about Braxton next. Because again, with him, you know, definitely probably his best overall game as a hokey. Maybe last year was a little bit better passing wise. But 141 through the air with a touchdown, 6 of 14, that's not a pretty stat. But when you're sitting some bombs downfield, it helps. But 12 for 115 and that 70-yard run, Yep. He, he had the options. When he had the options, he kept some. And when he kept some, it, it kept them off balance. He knew what he was doing. You'd see him read it. He'd pull it. He'd take the angle. He knew exactly. He ran smart. He ran yep. very smart on a lot of those read options. And if you feel like if you'd have given him a little bit more of the keys earlier in the season, you probably could have saw some more of this. Now I know kids been beat up, and some of that is on corn. Some of that is on just flow of the game. I mean, shit shit happens. Yeah. Um, but most of the time when he went at, when he got injured. It wasn't on a design keeper. No. So he he I, I think what, what really sucks for us as fans is you saw him on some of those some of those reads when he pull it. He essentially was looking to get yards and get out of bounds. Right? Yep. When he's when he saw the players coming, I'm gonna get eight yards, I'm gonna live to fight another day. You imagine doing that in some of the games we lost and some of the games that were close this year like the Richmond game or even the Carolina game where we're learning more and more every day that he wasn't given the option to read. The Carolina game could have been a full freaking 35-10 game if they would have gave him those options. Yeah. And it sucks for him because he is a limited passer, but, you know, he did hit some beautiful balls downfield. And I tell you, the prettiest was that slot post to Tay Robinson. Yep. I mean, they had a step. Braxton put it right in the basket. Touchdown. Easy. And Tay had a heck of a day as well. Tay, only three receptions for 89 yards, including the 61 yarder for the touchdown. But they ran a little Blacksburg special, little, 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 little zone read right, little fake to reverse. Braxton going. Braxton looks like he has good hands. Braxton 6'1, 200, a little wiggle. I think Braxton should go ahead and learn how to catch the ball more, might help him out. Um, <laughs> but full full stop with no Trey Turner, um, holding him out for precautionary reasons in the offensive game plan. Yep. Tay Robinson kind of showed me he's going to be number one next year. Unless the, the next coaching staff kicks him out, if they do, they're idiots. And we will go ahead and say that right now. He's a number one next year because I think he can go X, Y, and even in his things he can do in the slot, it gives you kind of that piece where we can put Tay anywhere, anytime. Yeah. Yeah, he's kind of that slot that you can line up anywhere. I mean, he's most natural in the slot position, but you can still line him up outside. Um, You're not going to send him on – you know, a ton of midfield um, 
fades or anything like that. That's not his game, but a post and anything underneath. Um, if we have a coordinator next year that figures out how to attack the middle of the field, he's going to friggin' feast. Um, so, I mean, th- that's what I'm looking forward to. And speaking of receivers, uh, Lofton. Another oh, good yeah. game by Lofton. Oh, yeah. A couple catches for 42 yards, a big 35-yarder downfield. And as, as, I'll, as I'll put the stamp on Tay as being a one, I think Lofton's a two. He's shown so much so quick. Gets you a little angry that we misused him throughout the year as we've misused numerous players. Um, But I, I think he's slot, though, next year. Strictly the slot guy. What do you think? I could see that. I could see him. Um, I could. Well, I could see him rotating um, into the slot when any time that that Tay's outside. Um, and I think that's that's the thing is that he's probably a little less fluid than Tay. I don't think he's um, somebody that can really bump outside regularly. Um, but I think we've got other guys on the receiving core that that should be able to do that. Um, you know, we we do have a lot. Say the problem that we have right now is we probably have more slot receivers that are ready to play than we have snaps that we can give them. True. Um, because I think, you know, I think Jalen Jones can probably play inside and outside. Um, you know, I, I think there's a couple other guys on this, on the, on the team that are, that are probably more built for the slot, but are probably going to have to play outside at least in the short term, just because of, of the personnel that we have. Um, but I think Lofton has definitely separated himself from the rest of the guys as being, you know, kind of probably the number two reliable receiver going into next season. Yeah. I think, I think, I think the off season and next spring are going to be critical for Jalen Jones. I think Jalen Jones, we saw that catch over the middle. If he can become that steady Eddie, why I don't think he's an X quite yet. That's going to give a lot of options for what we do with Tay and Lofton throughout the year. All right, Brian, let's just talk about these couple plays where I, I questioned it. It's fourth and two, and it's probably more fourth two and a half. They have Blumrick in there. and, and It's no, a long two. It's At it's best, a it's a long two. Okay, that's cool. That's cool. We have Blumrick in there. I'm like, okay, this is fine. We, we're going to run some sort of power. He goes under center. Are we going to – Are we gonna, okay, we're – we're going to run the ball downhill. Maybe we'll do a fake boot, give him an angle to the edge. The play that was called, as stupid as a nice play was to the offensive lineman, it ain't far behind it. Yeah, th- this is definitely the uh, – so this was the play before that happened. So this is this is the play before and I said, hold my beer. No, no, no. Um, this is this is earlier. This is early. The that's what I'm saying. So, I, I, I said, "Hold my beer with the." Oh, with the wait, later. I thought you played. like right after. Yeah. Like, no, that wasn't right. No, after. no, no. This this is the one where, uh, you know, Corn had a bad call, and then I said, "Hold my beer later." Later. Um, yeah. Th- this is this was awful, um, and again, it's a sneak. On, it's pretty much fourth and three. I mean, by all, yeah. it was it was everything but that third yard. And I mean, it was dead to rights. I mean, it was, we didn't even get, we might've got three inches on it. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe we got three inches and it it was just an awful situational call. Um, And then we had the play later. We get Trey recovering the onside kick after the, uh, the safety. And, 
We got Blumrick in there. And this is where you question. It's not, I, I, I'm not faulting Blumrick for trying to make a play. And then oh, unfortunately no, no, no. Gallo gets, gets, he gets into him and knocks the ball out of his hands. I question why you're not riding your horse to close out this game. Because you're, you're, you're five yards from field goal range. A first down closes out the game. First down closes it. Just give it to your horse and let him get the first down. Blumberg at that point was averaging about four yards a carry. No, maybe even a little less. Less like three. Yeah. Three. I mean, but, and, and, and Heem is averaging just under 10 at that point. Come on, just use common sense here. This this is another corn trying to outthink everybody. And then he outthinks himself. Well, it's not even outthinks himself. You sit here and it's there. You're, you're, you're deep in your own end anyway. Right. We're 39. I think that was the yard line. I'm sitting here and it's just like you run inside three times. You force them to use their time. If you don't get it, you're right in Parker's range anyway. You would have been yeah. – he's hit 50-plus yarder already this year. So even if you don't gain another yard, it would have been, what, 55, 54, give or take. Based on their defense, you're probably going to gain at least five to six. Inside. The only – you always see it. Why Fumbles rarely happen inside the tackles, right? Unless somebody just nails a perfect play. Where do yeah. fumbles happen? Going outside because it's space, protection. You don't have your guys in front of you. So he goes against the cardinal sin. I'm going to do this fancy, fancy stuff. No, dude, you're an idiot. I don't know football, and I'm sitting here like just run the ball up the gut three times, force them to burn all their timeouts. <clears throat> so at best, if we don't get the first down, even if you average three a carry, it's fourth and one. And then you can roll the dice and say, you know what? We're going to go one more time up the gut, right? One more time up the gut, we're going to close this game out. Or you know what? We're going to take the points. But, you know, yeah. So, again, we win 29-25. The cup stays home. Two in a row. <laughs> Twenty-one. Hey, the streak begins again. The streak begins again. 21 of 23. 21 of 23 which is just insane and it it took (laughs) it took them uh having a generational defense to get uh, one of those and a generational offensive player to get the other yep says a lot all right brian before we uh get into looking at the coaching dominoes falling today we are going to take a quick pause for a message from our digital partners As we take a quick break, we'd like to tell you about getting your free website report from our digital partner, Grassroots Digital Marketing Studio. They'll tell you how your website ranks on Google, on-site SEO, and social media. No commitment to buy anything. You can get your free report by visiting grassrootsdigitalstudio.com forward slash free dash website dash report. Now back to the episode. All right, guys. If you have not been paying attention today, let us update you. Probably our 1B, Billy Napier out of Louisiana Lafayette, goes to Florida. Um, It it broke about 2 o'clock this afternoon, I think about 4.30. The Florida official account released it. Um, 
down to question. He dropped, a, he dropped a thank you to uh, UL shortly after. Yep, he is going to coach them this weekend. So that's that's some very unseen. Is usually when a guy does what that is, they don't coach the next game. It's just, but he's coaching Saturday. Um, the question is, Brian, did we put an offer in? Do you think we put an offer in him? I definitely think we we uh, kicked the tires. Um, I think this was probably something where I don't think we necessarily had something in, in uh, like a handshake agreement and then Florida swooped in. I think this was more he was listening. We were talking. Florida started talking more. And, you know, once Florida came open, um, you know, somebody accepts Florida over Virginia Tech. I get it. I don't like it. Um, and, and, and you hope that we start winning more toss-ups like that in the future, um, whether it's recruiting or trying to get a coach to come, uh, to our program, but you get it. It's, I mean, it's SEC, it's in a more winnable division of the SEC. Really? Um, more winnable than I'd say more winnable than the West right now. Um, I don't think they're quite as deep. I think they are good but i still think the west is deeper okay um there, there's no question I, I, I i'm i'm interested in the contract figures i'm gonna say seven i'm gonna say seven i think if we offered we were probably about five and a half maybe six probably yeah seven. I, I, i'd say five and a half anybody that is in that realm of, of desirable um yeah. is probably what you're looking at yeah. um anybody that has no or or less head coaching experience is probably going to be around that four million mark. Exactly, but you, you get it right. They are an SEC power. They've already got a roster full of talent. Um, they've got a cabana on the back of their football the facility. Ron loves the cabana there. Um, and believe it or not, you know, you can say culture and like there are some kids that's going to sell them. Some kids it won't. Some kids it will. I think the bigger they, they got the Jordan it, brand too. So I mean, yeah. it's something to be said about that too. There's only three schools that have the Jordan brand: Michigan, Florida, UNC, that I know of. Might have had another one, but for Napier right now, all right, you Does make Oklahoma this, have it. Why don't you research that? You effort that. But here's the deal with Florida right now. No coach has made it past season four since Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer's been gone for uh, – Oklahoma does have the Jordan brand. <laughs> we'll talk about them in a few minutes. No, Nobody's made it past season four. And Mullen had a struggle season this year, but Mullen came out the gate, won 10 and 11 games, went to an SEC championship, had an eight and three year last year, has definitely a super down this year. They go six and six. He's fired. It wasn't, you know, you had Muschamp come out the gate hot. McIlwain had still had some good season. They fire him. It's one of those jobs where, to me, I know you said it the other night. I don't think they're in Texas territory yet. They're inching though. Yeah, they aren't giving guys time to fully establish their culture and to truly coach. And you know. That's, it's not necessarily the first sign of trouble like Texas, but it, it's about the second, right? Yeah. But what was it with Mullen? Like he, they were like, he's like two and eight in his last games against this. It's like, okay, that's going to happen. 
like they pulled the plug quick. So well, they, they saw recruiting trending down for them on top of one bad season. They're like, all right, we're getting the fuck out of this business. Yeah. It's one of those things. Once you dip below like 75 or 75% win percentage, they're going to fire you. Oh, you're at 67, 68. Yeah. We're like nine, 10 games every year. See ya. We don't deal with that here. So it's interesting. He goes there, especially after waiting on Auburn, because when he turned down Auburn in South Carolina last year, South Carolina, I completely understood. That is a hell of a rebuild, tough place to win. Auburn, I didn't because Auburn had shown with Gus, they would give a guy five to six years, right? If you had success early, they'd ride it for a while before they let you go. Florida don't. So I hope Billy Napier is successful there. I really do. Um, but if he starts nine, if he goes nine and three, nine and three, nine and three, they will fire him. They'll be like, see you later, bud. All right. Yeah. And I mean, the big thing with Napier is that, you know, he can recruit. So I think you'll see a bump in that. Yeah. And I think they, they'll probably give him a little bit more leash if they're getting the recruiting classes in there. Cause they think, all right, in time, these players will come around. I think the the reason that you saw them pull the trigger so quick on Mullen is that recruiting didn't fall off the deep end, but it was slowly trickling out of their normal comfort range on it, top of the wins also going down as well. It went from the 7 to 10 where they're used to to like 15. Yep. And it's a weird year. In a weird year. So – now, I think that one kind of – you can't say it was expected. I think most people pegged it. He's probably going to go to Florida. The one that broke today, though, holy shit. When this broke, there were rumors yesterday of LSU, and I thought that was bullshit. Yeah. I'm glad I thought it was. Lincoln Riley to USC. Wow. Wow. Yeah, this makes more sense than Lincoln Riley to LSU, in my opinion. True. Because he he avoids having to win in the SEC. Uh, (laughs) He he gets to recruit within a three-hour range of uh, where he works, and and really that's all he has to do. Um, He really doesn't have to leave Southern California to recruit. Nope. and it, I mean, it's it's kind of that prestige job. Whereas I mean, I know Oklahoma is also a prestige job, but you don't have to make the college football playoff every year as USC to keep that job. Also, the path to the college football playoff is a hell of a lot easier than it is in the Big Twelve, and a hell of a lot easier than it's going to be in the SEC. Damn right. Well, you saw the. I don't know if you saw the tweet, and I, I wish I could give credit to put it out there. Apparently, Lincoln Riley did not want that move to the SEC. And I get that, right? It's like we're going from a good league to the best league. Yep. And we're going to probably be in the side with, let's see, the best team and the best head coach, two offensive gurus like me, LSU, who has won three national titles in the last 20 years, A&M, who gets to recruit all of Texas and Missouri yep. and maybe Texas. We can beat Missouri every year. We're going to be in a dogfight and everything else. So, like, Lincoln made a business move. And also you wonder if Lincoln's looking at the NFL because out of all the programs, 
you go to USC and you're successful there, there is a very good chance that the NFL will call you. Yep. And, you know, you've already seen it. If you go check 247 out, how many of the California kids he's recruited to Oklahoma, the the crystal balls are flipping. Kids are decommitting already. The flip, flip. yep. And that's one reason why it's starting to get a little irritating with Witt. If he has his guy, like, you need to get this now. Because yeah, we got the, the the portal's already happening. We see we 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 heard some whispers about some folks we were uh, deep in on potentially uh, entering the portal. Some guys that we had targeted this cycle that are now decommitting, opening up their recruitment fully because obviously not everybody wants to take a trip out to uh, Southern Cal. Yeah. Um, a, a lot of the footprint that Oklahoma is recruiting is you know Mid Atlantic, East Coast, They're South. I mean. They're all over. They're a national yeah. brand. They, they yeah. obviously got to focus in Texas a ton, a little bit more in the southeast. But they'll go to California. Yeah. They'll come into Virginia as they did last year. So they're more of a national footprint. Um, but for us, it's like I see this, and it's like you get the new coach in here because it could be somebody that like a, a four star loves, and it's like, yeah, you lost him, or he's going there. Yeah, I'm going to go there now. I wouldn't go to him over here, but I'd go with him in there. So Whit needs to get on this. To me, it needs to be done this week. He needs to make the move this week. There again, you know. If we don't hear by December first, I'm going to start getting antsy. I know you're already getting antsy. I'm antsy already. Well, because now you've got (laughs) Oklahoma open, right? That is a premier top ten job. So you know, who are they going to go after? You know, you you feel like it's probably where we are right now. It's probably a few guys that we haven't really contacted. But it there's going to be, be uh, there's there, both, a lot of their targets are going to be guys that are out of our pay range by default. Sure. But if they don't hit on those, then that's when they start creeping into the top end of what we're looking at that's left. Um, and then we've got, you know, there's another job open LSU, and we're hearing, uh, you know, Stoops from Kentucky might be uh, somebody that they're looking at. Um, so I mean, this is really uh, you know, if Kentucky comes open, that's that's that a, a decent job right in our backyard. <laughs> that is a direct competitor. It can to if if Mark Stoops leaves, and Mark Stoops either goes to Oklahoma or LSU, direct competitor. And when yes. I say that, Charles Huff, Damon Chadwell, Tony Elliott, some of the names we mentioned last week, oh, that's absolutely on their radar. Yep. And they built a good culture there. The expectations aren't crazy. Mark Stoops is proving you can win eight plus games there a year and compete and get in a fight with Georgia. Lose the fight, but make it a fight unlike some teams. So if Witt has his guy, he better get that ink dried this week because if Kentucky comes open, they're going to steal somebody we probably won't. Yeah, and Whit might already have his guy and he's not announcing, but he needs to go ahead and lock it up because the longer that we wait, the greater possibility that guys get cold feet, start looking elsewhere, and you don't want to be in a battle if you already got a guy that's willing to sign. Go ahead and get this done. Um, And and like we said, I'm not necessarily worried yet, but if we get past December 1st, if we're having the same conversation when we're putting together the next episode we're going to put out, it's going to be ugly. That, that, that's when I'm going to start worrying. If Witt screws this up, they should just fire Witt. 
because you fired a guy. You fired a guy deep in season, like deep, yep. like you fired him and there was multiple weeks left or two weeks left in the season. My first thought was when you fired him, you had your guy, you needed to get him out of the door, get that, get the pay structure straight, and then just get this guy to sign the deal. Yeah. Because if, if you didn't have your guy, you could have fired him earlier and set and, and played the longer game. You could play um, the really longer game. Yeah. So, and Witt's keeping everything quiet. And you know what, Witt? I hope the next head coach makes you stop doing that bullshit. You don't need to keep everything quiet. Don't do it to fans. Because right now, I'm not the only one that's antsy. Have yeah. enough and I mean, and, and he can still get it right, but I mean, the, the the drama here is a little bit more than is worth. Why do we need drama? We need a new coach in place to keep a top twenty five class together. Yeah, to keep one of the best running backs in Virginia here, to keep a potential best lineman in Virginia here, to keep a solid Texas quarterback here. It's it's like oh, I'm just going to drop it at seven forty five. I hope it's dropped at 7.45 tomorrow morning. And there's an announcement, and there's a presser at 11. And it was perfectly done. But I'm getting worried about it. And, you know, like kind of who's left now? Huff, Chadwell, Healy. Duke's open now. We didn't throw that on here. Cutcliffe got – they essentially amicably departed today. I mean, you still got the – the most of the coordinators are still out there. You still got Freeman. You still got Elko. You still got those guys. You got um, but I think the, I think the big thing that we're we're losing now is, you know, we are we talked about our one A and one B, and we've already lost our one B. Yeah. Um. And like I said, there's still guys on the board that I'd be comfortable with, but every day it goes further. Either it, it sounds like either they don't want the job or uh, they're looking at other jobs. So lock it up with get it done. So we can go ahead and start building towards keeping his class together and building a coaching staff. And that's going to be key because trust us, y'all. When this coaching staff starts getting put together, I believe we're be going we're going to be going through fine tooth comb with every position. Look for that episode. We might have some, epi- some fun guests on here to talk that through too. Yeah, episodes. I'm not even going to say episode episodes because. Clearly what's happened in the last six years showed the value of having a really good staff. Because, can I ask this, Brian? Go for it. The way it's going, would you have just rather Witt said, screw it, I'm going to keep Fuente, you're going to fire him, 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 and him, and you're going to hire new people. And I'm going to sign off on every single one of them. Not yet. Um, Not yet? No. Uh, Until more – until more guys are off the board, I'm not. I'm not saying that's what I want. I, right, I, I'm, gonna, I, I'm gonna say a first name only, first name only, and tell me if it. Uh, if you would have be like, nope, we need to do this, Mike. Which Mike? <laughs> I know which Mike. You know, if you're talking, Mike. if you're talking it's about uh, our our friend down in ECU, then yeah, yeah. Yeah, that that's that's not inspiring. So again, it's Mike. Would you have rather been like now keep Fuente and make him clean his staff out? Nah, I, I still I still say that that we needed to get rid of get out of the Fuente business. I think okay, okay. Um, 
by the way, it, I don't, me, cause I, I guess I'll say that because I don't think we're going to, that's going to be the route that we go. Um, and I know that this is a hypothetical here, but I don't think we're going to end up with that type of candidate in mind. I think that it's going to be someone at least that we've discussed on this program or someone of that ilk. Um, so no, I mean, I think culture wise, he had to go. I think the, I think the culture had been damaged beyond repair. Okay. Um, okay. So I think that, that that's really where I'm landing on that. Okay. Um, but I'm asking if, I mean, if he screw if he screws it up bad, then you know that that's to be seen. But I just, I don't think he's going to screw it up as bad as that. Wit gonna need to go if he screws it up bad. He's going to need to go. Um, the other thing that I was going to well, where'd it go? Hold on. Um, uh, no, we're gonna skip that. We're yeah. gonna skip that. Dwight, Dwight Vick agrees with me here, so I like that. <laughs> I'm just asking. Because Dwight, and I hope you're still listening. Are you getting worried? Dwight, are you are you worried? Because it's Sunday night, it's after 10 o'clock. The season is over. We're going to a bowl game. There is not even an inkling of who we're gonna get. You know. I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with the, uh, the the JC Price thing when he was talking about Beamer. If if Dwight's not worried, I'm not worried. <laughs> well, hold on, let's wait. Dwight, are you worried while we move on here? Because <laughs> there we go, there we go. <laughs> Dwight is concerned, everybody, and it needs. All right, to- he's he's with based on that. So I'm, I think we're good. I think we're in a good place here, guys. <laughs> All right, D- Dwight, if you hear anything, hit us up especially me, because I'm going to be sitting here <laughs> shaking the rest of the week, antsy, nervous. I'm working at home with nobody here, so it's quiet. So the thoughts that run through my head is, oh, God, we're going to hire this guy, and I want to want to throw things. So, Curtis is going to need to uh, ration that morning coffee so he doesn't go into full-on meltdown midday. Dude, I'm already drinking like 28 ounces a day. If this gets <laughs> bad, it's going to be like 40. I'm only having three giant cups before 10 a.m. I've already hit a couple people up and told them, like, listen, if you know who it is and you don't think I'm going to like it, you need to just – you don't need to say who it is. (laughs) Just rip the Band-Aid off. (laughs) I'll respect if they want to hold their source, but you need to tell me to go buy the bottle of Jameson's out of the liquor cabinet and start drinking it. (laughs) I'm slightly inebriated and slightly dulled to the fact of who we hire. Man, if you do that, you're going to be throwing shit at the TV screen when the presser comes on. No, I won't. That's Irish whiskey. I don't do like other whiskeys do to me. That that gets me nothing. So, anyway, again, the dominoes are falling. More are going to fall in the coming days. Um, Pretty much Dykes at TCU, the Washington and Washington State stuff. let me actually let me look up that because I haven't even looked at the West Coast stuff. This is this is live right now. Um, whoa, the guy who interimed at Washington State, Jake Dickert, has been given a five-year contract. There it is. Off the table. Um. So that's wild and. I'm going to go to the Washington football site here. 
they have not gotten anything yet. Um, see if there's any rumors. Get yours up, Brian. Folks, if you have a Washington scoop, feel free to hit us up. Efforting. Efforting, yeah, efforting. I'm not. I'm not seeing anything popping up that. Um, I'm seeing. I mean, some of the podcasts out there are throwing out Kalen DeBoer, Matt Campbell, Justin Wilcox. Wilcox. But I mean, I, I don't. I don't know if those are like pipe dreams or if they're you know legitimate for them. So. Uh, they're also saying the guy who's at Fresno State might have a chance at this. I did hear that earlier. Yeah, I did yeah. hear that. Wilcox or the guy for Fresno State wouldn't shot me. They're both they're they're both West Coast guys. Um, that makes know. more sense for them, and and that really doesn't put them at, at odds with anybody. Nope. Kind of in our radar. Um, and I mean we've we've heard a couple wild card names this week that we're we're going to keep to ourselves at this point that for the VT job, but. We'll, yeah. we'll see how that we'll, we'll see if those come to fruition. Um, yeah. We don't feel comfortable enough with with throwing those out there yet. So, do not even joke about it. All right, Brian. Let's look at this. Hopefully, and by the way, if anything breaks coaching wise before we're out of here tonight, we're gonna we're gonna talk about it. But we are gonna look real quick. Um, good Saturday for us. Good overall year. We are both. Better than coin flips. So remember that we're better than coin flips. So if we say something, you might have a good chance to get it right. But we both go seven, three, and one on Saturday, Brian. Seven, three, and one. Um, Mike Gundy clearly took Oklahoma in the four because that pushed. Um, when he could have kicked the field goal to get it to five. Um, that was one we pushed. And then let's see, we both got NC State wrong, although the final two minutes of that game and the final two minutes of the Tech game, what is it, Coastal Chaos and uh, Atlantic Anarchy. I know they played UNC, but they, they came back and won that game, scored two touchdowns in two minutes. That's insane. But they could not cover. No, they could not cover. Um, Wake goes up to BC and just blows the door. We thought it'd be a tighter game than this. They won by 31. They beat the brakes off BC. Yeah. They, they were – I think they got a little bit of wake-up call against Clemson, and they were, they were much more focused in this game. And uh, their quarterback, he was, I know he plays with a lot of passion, but he seemed a little bit more focused and yeah. consistent throughout – and once they got a lead, it was kind of, you know, it was easy to put them away at that point. Yeah, it was really easy to put them away at that point. I mean, and, and they and they didn't turn it off. No. I mean, you beat somebody by 31 points. They did not turn it off any time during that game. The next one, Brian, we, Brian got a Georgia Tech game right, everybody. Brian got a Georgia <laughs> – and you got it right. I'd like to thank God and, uh, you know, everyone listening – and no, I'm just kidding. And Uga, like, it was not even a question. Like, like once they got to, like, 30, I think 31, it was like, the question is, how big is it going to be? Because Georgia Tech's not scoring. No. They're not scoring at all. 
Um, I mean, this is one. This is probably one of the better defenses that I think we've seen in a while. Yeah, probably since those like really damn good Bama defenses, mid two thousands or yeah, mid two thousand tens. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. I mean, they're nasty, and seeing, you know, seeing how Bama looked against Auburn, like it literally took Bama forty minutes to score. And I mean, reality is they probably should have lost that game. Any of y'all still in the Bill O'Brien bandwagon or nah? <laughs> I mean, I hey, listen, right now I, I, I know being OC is different than being a head coach. I, I you know I don't I don't need y'all in my mentions on that, but um, <laughs> I, I don't I, again I don't think it's necessarily the the most awful hire we could have, but there are definitely a lot of question marks uh, with that if that's somebody that's on our radar. True. Very true. Um, FSU Florida, the hook got us on that one. Yeah. It was, it, it was a three-point game. We took FSU in two and a half. Um, but I, I, I think Mike Norvell might be okay at Florida State. The guys, I think if he gets another class or two under his belt, that's good. And they're starting to settle in and play – the style of ball that he likes to play. Yep. It's starting to click for them. So that's why they're, they've been more competitive. Oh yeah. Um, And yeah, I think more, more of that is on the offense. I think the defense was always up and down. They, they had good games and bad games, but the offense has started to, to put a few things together now. And, and that's really kind of turned it for them. Um, Obviously we got the next one with Miami. They blew the doors off. Or Duke, forty-seven ten. I mean, that wasn't even a game. We laid twenty-one, could have laid thirty-one, and yep. you know, still been safe. Got that one right. So you know, and then South Carolina Clemson, the battle of the Palmetto State. Brian and his love affair with Shane Beamer took the eleven and a half points. I do not have a love affair with Shane Beamer. I exactly. thought that. I thought that the Clemson game against Wake was an aberration. Nope. I didn't think they were going to be as tight on offense in back-to-back weeks. And really three weeks, if, if you look at it. I mean, the week yeah. before, they, they didn't have a bad outing. Then, you, then nope. you, you put it with the Wake game and then now against South Carolina. And, you know, for all of the problems South Carolina's had offensively up and down all year, I mean, they've had a decent defense. Um, and – it it didn't work out this game. It did not work out, and and Clemson's defense just clamped them. Just like yeah. nope, you're not doing anything. The third stringer looked like a third stringer. Exactly. Um, Kentucky Louisville. I think we thought this game would be more competitive. I watched people. They blew the Stoops blew the doors off them. I mean, yeah. that wasn't a game. Like I remember, I was I, we were doing some stuff around the house, you know, decorating Christmas and. And I walk and it's like 14 7. I'm like, oh, okay. I like the three. I think we're safe. Oh, back in it's 31 7. I'm like, three is safe. Three is really safe. Yeah, we're good. Um, so, you know, we, we both got that one right. The pit game, um, pit easily wins over Syracuse. Makes you just go crazy about that game. We played against them. Um, the Egg Bowl Thursday night. Not as high scoring as I thought. Entertaining game. Ole Miss hangs on. Yep. Wins by 10. Um, and then Michigan, Ohio State. You nailed that one, dude. 
You nailed the getting the spread. And how much of that game did you get to watch? Because I know you were going to do some traveling. I watched uh, pretty much all of the second half. So you saw the absolute, we are going to pound you, and we're going to pound you again. Yep. As an offensive lineman, when you see – well, actually, our game too. When you see that happening, what does it make you feel? Like, because they just – it. Playing those type of games is like a euphoric feeling because you kind of get in this zone where you feel like I'm attacking every play. I'm imposing my will on the other side of the ball. They can't stop us. Even if they slow us down, we're going to get them, hit them the next play. It's not going to matter. We're running down your throat. Fucking stop us because you're not going to do it. Yeah, and, and it's 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 as empowering of a feeling as an offensive lineman as you can have. Yeah, and watching I got to watch about half of the second half and kind of was trying to peek at it here and there, but I mean the stat line for Michigan was I mean two ninety seven. They almost broke three hundred, and that is a group an Ohio State team loaded with five stars. One thing and I always talk to this my buddy Mike at work. A couple of years ago, Michigan got torched, right? By Ohio yep. State. Torched with the passing offense. They let go of Don Brown, old school, a lot of cover one, cover zeros, a lot of mans. They brought in the McDonald kid who is a he's a I look at some of the stuff he does, it's similar to Ham. Obviously, he's got a little more tenure. That's a modern day way to slow down. Uh, uh, with the athletes that Michigan gets, Ohio State. Yeah. I mean, legitimately. They they played – you could see cover three, cover four. They played some man. They blitzed occasionally. I mean, the two guys at the end are studs. Yeah. But well, it's less that high-risk, high-reward system and more of a – Drive on us. Drive on us, grind it, and, and, and make them make mistakes, make them get antsy, make them get impatient. And, and, and it worked. And they did. And and even when even when they weren't impatient, they were getting some stops. And when they got impatient, they were absolutely getting stops. Yeah, I did not see that game playing out that way. I, I thought that Ohio State would still hit a few over the top, but Michigan stuck to their game plan, and they 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 made that defense cry, Uncle. Yeah, I mean that last drive where literally it was six runs, and it was like sixty five yards. It was just like, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do it. You will not stop us. We are going to lock, we're going to close this game out. And something else. And I know the Virginia Tech fans up in Charlottesville rushed the field, which was hilarious to see. Terrell Smith planted the flag. Rushed the field, planted the several flags were planted. I think uh, planted. Brock Brock planted one. Somebody else planted one. Tyrell planted one. But. How about just overall, numerous fields were rushed. And and this season has been great because what makes college football are the stadiums, are the fans, are the bands and the drum lines, are the chants. And when Michigan won, Michigan's a longstanding power. They're a blue blood. They're a top ten, top five team. 
they rushed the field. And I don't know if it was, you know, they broke the Ohio State streak, which is huge. But it's just this feeling that, you know, I'm, college football is one for me. It's always going to be one. I like yeah. watching the pro game. I play fantasy. I have a team. But I can sit and legitimately watch any college game at any point in time. That's why I have multiple TVs in my man cave. I need more than one. And with the NFL, if I miss a game, I'm not as upset. You know, like, you know, it is what it is, but it's the sport we love, man. Yep. I will watch it. Uh, any game that's on and I've got the time, I will sit down and watch it. Yeah. It doesn't matter. I mean, I love watching the Hokies, but I really like watching any other team play football too, especially college football. Yeah, and like yesterday, I watched a ton of Bedlam, and they rushed the field. And it was great to see that. You know, again, it's, it's any game. And when it's a rivalry game, especially in college football, it's a lot more smack talk. It's a lot more popping. It's a lot more trash talking, and it makes Some jawing after plays, referees having to step in, separate folks at, at times. And we saw it against uh, Virginia – Saw it oh, a bunch, yeah. Ohio State, Michigan. Saw it a bunch in Bedlam. It was great. Egg Bowl. Egg Bowl. Everything was great. All right, Brian, let's go one more time. Let's make sure nothing has broken the last little while here. Are you seeing anything? I have not. Okay. Well, if you've got nothing else to talk about, Anything else you want to hit before we uh, shut it out? I mean, we can we can talk some Thanksgiving break. How was yours, man? Oh yeah. Um. Well, let's see. <laughs> well, the microwave broke literally right after my wife put in the last dose batch of sweet potatoes because she throws them in there, nukes them for a while before she bakes them. It made a pop sound. So Saturday, why well, I didn't get to watch all the Michigan game? Michigan Ohio State game is because I was installing a new one above the range. That was fun. There you um, go. Yeah. Uh, ate tons of food. Uh, desserts. Oh gosh. You know. Yeah. We 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 ate lunch at Virginia Beach and then traveled to South Boston and ate another one for dinner at about seven thirty. So well, we were uh, great time there. Yeah, yeah, we got a, got a little, uh, yeah, got a, got a three-hour drive in the middle there. <laughs> yeah, got a good break time. I, here's the funny part. On Thursday, this is how I ate. I woke up, I ate like a Nutri-Grain bar at like 8 o'clock. About 11 o'clock, because we ate about 4, I sit there and I got to eat something. Because if not, the body's going to be screaming. Eat a sandwich and then hammer to fully loaded plates just hammer boy. and then after that's done about an hour later big old piece of pecan pie big old piece of chocolate pie like literally half a place worth um, i went with the dessert sampler uh i, I had mm-hmm. I had some pecan pie i had some pumpkin pie i had some apple pie had some chocolate pie one of each sampler i was I, the, the pecan pie was oh, amazing homemade Oh, it's just, 
it's love Thanksgiving. Um, you know, always a fun day. I didn't get a nap this year though. I did not get a nap this year. Um, <laughs> I will say, you know, I think it's okay. I've slept really good on Thursday. <laughs> there you go. I got about a 20 minute, uh, snoozer just before we packed the car to leave. So I ate, I ate my two plates, had my dessert plate, hit hit a 20-minute snoozer. Um, I guess kind of like right at the uh, – kind I guess right right towards the end of the first half of the game, uh, the first game, the early game, um, or, or the start of the second half, somewhere in there. All right. Packed up the car, hit the road, got to South Boston about 7, uh, ready for round two. Only went one fully loaded plate for dinner, though. I couldn't do two. (laughs) Well, good Lord. Like, (laughs) (laughs) so I had done three fully loaded plates. Granted, I did not eat anything until 120. (laughs) Do a complete empty, empty set, empty set. I don't need anything. 28. Yeah. Like, what's your, uh, like, everybody, you got turkey. What's your, like, one dish that's kind of, you know, that's not a normal or what's your one dish that like hits every year? Like got to have that. All right. So the thing I like to make the most, the thing I like to eat the most, uh, I, I make a sausage uh, dressing that's like okay. out of this world. Um, so I will make that and then I will crush that. Um, if it's not, I love turkey. That's that's kind of the go-to, but obviously that I mean that's on everybody's plate, Everybody. so I'm not gonna hype that up. Uh, the underrated uh, team player there is uh, anybody that can do Brussels sprouts, right? Ooh, yeah, underrated, very underrated, very very underrated. Um, but we have Brussels sprouts all the time here at the house. Hey, yeah. I, I pick up Brussels sprouts at least two times a month because the way my wife cooks them, they're amazing. Shout out my wife. I I had never really been a fan of this until hers, her corn pudding. Hey. Mm. Her corn, corn pudding coming off the bench. Pudding. Sinking I mean, the three. Well, you know, it's <laughs> and it's always a huge helping on my first plate because I'm going like mashed potatoes, turkey, low gravy rolls. Um, we have a broccoli casserole. We don't do green bean. And then after all that richness, like that little sweet corn. Uh, pops and she only makes it during the holidays i don't request i you know no other time but something See, I my wife's not a big brussels sprouts fan so we don't have brussels sprouts very often throughout Ooh. the year okay so when, when it comes to thanksgiving when when people are cooking for like you know 10 10 10 people or more you know brussels sprouts come out uh you know i go ahead and reserve all right well you got this we got 10 people but i'm going to reserve a fourth of this uh brussels sprout plate just for me <laughs> I've like annexed this? it. Everybody else can split the remainder. I've annexed this section here. This is mine. Do not touch. All right, man. Well, let's wrap it, dude. It is eleven o'clock. We have had multiple days off, and we have to wake up and go to work, school, and all. Let's that do it. Morning. But that wraps up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Visit our website, boundarycornerbt.com, to listen to all of our episodes. While you're there, don't get forget to follow us on Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, subscribe to our YouTube page and your favorite podcast source, including Spotify, Amazon, and Apple Podcasts. 
We always let our buddy Jason Long play us in, play us out. Check him on Spotify and Apple Music. The Cup stays home over 365 days in just a few short times. As always, Brian, let's go. Hokies.